How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. All right, well, we are continuing our series today called One of the Twelve. And actually, we are already at the tail end of our series here. Actually, next week is going to be the finale. Um, time flies. I can't believe we're already at the end of this, but you don't want to miss that finale. It's going to be a really good topic. I think it's going to round things out really well. So make sure you come back for that. But what we've been doing throughout this series is looking at the life and experiences of Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he was the one that would ultimately betray Jesus. And so what we've been doing is we've been kind of digging in and looking at the decisions he made, um, some of the habits that he had so that we can learn from them, okay? So that we don't fall into the same traps that he fell into. So we've already talked about some really good topics that hopefully we've learned from. In week one, we talked about the idea of idolatry, what exactly that looks like in our lives, how that can surface, and then also how we can ultimately overcome that, okay? The next week, we talked about integrity, this is something that uh, Judas lacked very much. He was different everywhere that he went. And so we talked about how we can stand strong in our identity in Christ every single day. Okay, we wanna have integrity. And then last week we talked about submission. How do we yield authority over to Jesus? How do we truly make him Lord and savior of our lives? And so already some really good topics. Again, I hope you've already learned some things through it. But this is what brings us to today's message, which I am both excited about and also a little bit anxious about, if I'm being honest, because today is gonna be a little bit different than normal. Okay, nothing crazy but um, just a little different approach than normal because I think this particular subject matter calls for it, okay? And so I'm just gonna tell you right out of the gate, we are gonna be heading down a pretty intimate path throughout today's message. And so before we even get started, I wanted to just lay out a few expectations so that we can all walk into this with open hearts and with open minds, okay? That's what it's gonna take for this to be successful by any measure. And so I want all of us, myself included, to just receive God's word and allow him to, to move and work through it, okay? And so with that being said, there are just a few things I wanted to call out that are gonna be just a little bit different than normal so that you can anticipate that, okay? The first thing is we're gonna be reading through quite a bit of scripture today, okay? More than normal, we're gonna be digging in pretty deep once again because I think this topic really calls for it. Rather than you know, roaming around any gray areas, I just want to allow scripture to speak for itself. And so along with that, I would just uh, encourage you to take notes today. Okay, I know that I say that a lot, but I think with today's content, that will be helpful. And so whether it's pen and paper or whether it's your phone, I think that'll be really helpful so that you can go back and, and remind yourself of this, that you can reflect upon it, but also so that you can continue to dig in and study so that you can really absorb this information. Okay, so I think that will be really helpful for you as we dig further into scripture. The second thing, this is uh, definitely gonna be more of a teaching session than anything, which just means it's gonna be a little bit more laid back, pretty straightforward, okay? I just really want to, to give this to you directly. And so I probably will even be sitting down at some point during the message, which is different. I don't think I've ever done that before, but I want to just make sure that uh, the atmosphere matches the content. So I wanna make sure that you're really receiving this the right way, okay? 
So I think I've prefaced things enough. Let's go ahead and pray before we get into today's message that God's word would be proclaimed, that we would receive it with open hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for bringing us into your house today safely. Thank you so much for this weekend that we get to celebrate, that we get to to give honor to those who have gone ahead of us and have sacrificed for us, much like you have done, Lord. I ask that your word would be proclaimed confidently with power and precision into the hearts of your people. I ask that you would use me to get that done as your vessel, Lord, and I can't wait to see what you continue to do in and through it. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, many times when we talk about the story of Judas, and we've mentioned this throughout the series, but it can get pretty eye-opening as we begin to realize that many of the mistakes that he made are the same exact mistakes that we make, right? I mean, being dishonest, um, not trusting God, these are all things that we've grappled with throughout our lives, right? And so it's a little unsettling as we begin to realize just how much we can relate to him. And yet, as we dig even further into the story, as we dig even further into the heart of Judas, things can actually get even more eye-opening than we initially thought. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Now, I've said this a couple of times, but Judas spent over three years with Jesus and the rest of the disciples, okay? Over three years, that's quite a good amount of time, right? And within that, he worked a great deal within the ministry of Christ, In fact, we're left to believe that he was right in the middle of many of the amazing things that Jesus did that we read about in scripture. He was there. He was participating. He was involved. I mean, this is one of 12 guys that was in the inner circle. And yet as close as he was to Jesus, we see this amazing disconnect by the end of his life. In fact, we even see it in his relationship with the disciples. It's amazing to think how much time he spent with these guys. And yet they had no idea that he had it within him to betray them, to deceive everyone around him. And most importantly, to betray Jesus. They had no idea. They were completely clueless. And what this shows us is that there was clearly a huge disconnect between the exterior things of Judas's life and what was really going on deep within his heart. Now, we don't immediately attach to that right away because, well, we're not Judas, right? And and we didn't hand Jesus over to his captors. And yet on second thought, this idea can get really intimate. It can get really personal as we have to take a hard look in the mirror and determine if that same disconnect exists in our own lives. Like, sure, we, we might have good intentions most of the time. We might feel like we're pretty good people. You know, we may even do a bunch of work for the church and feel like that's evidence of the condition of our hearts. But if we really dug in, if we really drilled to the center, what would we find? Because if we're being real here, Judas probably had more reason to believe that his heart was right than we may ever have. I mean, this is a guy that worked directly with Jesus and yet somehow his heart was still not in the right place. And see, the question isn't why, because we answered that last week, right? We, we talked about that last week. If you need to go back and re-listen, please do that. The question isn't why there was a disconnect. The question is, does that disconnect exist in our hearts? Now, we discussed last week that 
it's evident Judas had not submitted his will over to Christ, right? Clearly he had not made Jesus his Lord and Savior. And yet so many of the exterior things in his life seem to show that. And so what we ultimately have to figure out here is how can we confirm that we've truly given our lives to Christ? How can we be sure that the exterior things are truly a sign of interior change, an interior change that truly is submitted to Jesus? How can we be sure? And this is the journey that I want to take today, okay? Now, before we take the next step forward, I just wanna say two things real quick before we dig into scripture here. Again, just to make sure you're receiving this the right way. Okay, I want you to receive this through the right filter. So before we even get into the content, I, I want to just first start by encouraging you that the journey that we're about to discuss is always going to be an imperfect one. Okay, so what I mean by that is true evidence of interior change doesn't mean that you're always going to be perfect. Okay, that's not the case. And so while I don't want to give you false encouragement, I also don't want to discourage those who have truly given their lives to Christ and are just stumbling along like the rest of us, right? This is going to be an imperfect pursuit because we are imperfect people. But if we have truly given our lives to Christ, the evidence will always hold true. And that's what we need to discover and cling to today, okay? The second thing is I want to just be abundantly over the top clear here, okay? This is not a judgmental endeavor on my part, okay? Anything that we discuss today is not coming from a place of judgment or disapproval. It is not my job to judge your heart or anyone else for that matter, okay? This is meant to be an internal investigation I want us to take a real honest look at our spiritual lives and determine if we are truly his or not. That is my only aim. Now, might we feel convicted through it? Might we feel like light is being shown in the dark areas of our hearts? Potentially, that might happen, but let that serve to open our eyes and draw us closer to him, okay? I wanna walk into this openly, honestly, and humbly so that God can truly work through it. Okay, today is meant to be a self-examination of our spiritual lives, an autopsy of our hearts to see who it truly, truly belongs to. Because listen, there's too much on the line here for you to be oblivious about this. There's too much on the line for you to be oblivious to who you truly are. And this is something that the Bible actually prescribes itself. This might surprise you, but 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? So this is a biblical journey that we wanna take today, a self-examination of what's really going on deep inside our hearts. And so let's go ahead and get this rolling. So we're gonna begin in James chapter two, and this is gonna give you an indication right out of the gate of just how much fun we're gonna have today, okay? James 2, 24 says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you were here last week or if you've heard any number of our messages, that should be surprising to you, right? In fact, isn't that the exact opposite of what we often say around here? Don't we cling to Ephesians 2, 8, where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works? Like that seems like a direct contradiction. Did, did somebody mess up here? 
Or maybe, maybe Paul and James are just opposed in their viewpoints. And so we have to choose between the two of them. Is that what's going on here? Now, obviously the answer is no. James and Paul were not opposed in their viewpoints. And that's especially true when we consider that the only true author of credit to scripture is the Holy Spirit, right? There's always consistency held within. But then how do we make sense of these two scriptures? What exactly is going on? Now, one of the first rules of studying the Bible is that you must always allow scripture to interpret scripture, which is to say that when there are tensions in the text, you have to see ultimately how they come together. You have to see how they intertwine. And so in this case, James is not contradicting Paul. Here is what James is trying to guard against with what he said. This is what he's trying to guard against. When people hear that they're saved by grace and not by works, they might say to themselves, okay, well, yeah, I believe in God's saving grace. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior in my life. Done deal, let's move on, right? But then there's a problem if literally everything else in their lives shows that that's not what truly is going on in their heart. Like when you dig in, you, you see bondage to sin, you see disobedience to Christ, you see a lack of love for those around them. And this brings us right back to that disconnect that we see in Judas. And so here is what the Bible is trying to say with these scriptures. Okay, first off, you are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. No exception, no other way around it. You did nothing to earn it. It is a free gift of God's grace. But if you have true saving faith, then works will follow. And where there are no works, that must mean there's no faith. When there is no transformation of the heart and there's simply an intellectual, I believe, that's not true faith. A transformed life is objective evidence of salvation. This is the message that James wanted to ensure his readers understood. Yes, while we must be able to rest in God's grace, we have to guard against using that as a crutch. We can't just assume that he's holding us until his return, when indeed that might not be the case. And so what I want to talk about today is what the true objective evidences are that accompany genuine belief and true submission to Christ. What does this look like? Now, if Judas can trick the apostles on the outside without having inner change, I want to make sure I'm not doing the same thing, right? I want to make sure that my life is showing evidence of true inner change, not some sort of exterior fabrications for everybody else's sake. And so that's what I want to unpack today, okay? Now, this is when we're going to dig pretty deep into scripture. So just a forewarning, but also get your notes ready, get your minds ready. Let's go ahead and dive in. And I'm going to take a seat if you don't mind, because I haven't sat in quite a while. All right. So the first piece of objective evidence that I want to talk about today that accompanies true belief, the first one is active and present faith, active and present faith. Hebrews 6, 11 says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Active faith will always accompany those who truly trust in Jesus. 
That's one of the first measures that you can look at to truly determine where your heart stands. Is my faith alive and well? Is that what I'm seeing in my life? Now, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a really interesting story about a farmer who goes out and scatters seed all across his land in various places. And then he sees various returns from that. Now, when Jesus explains this to the disciples, he explains to them that what he's really trying to say here is that people respond to the gospel message differently. Okay? Some receive it with initial joy and celebration and then see it wither as hardships come. Some receive it and then see it choked out by the stress and the busyness of life. But the one who receives it and accepts it is the one who is deeply rooted in Christ and truly goes on to bear fruit. And we'll talk about what exactly that means in a minute. But here's the point. Those who receive it on good soil, those are the ones who show active and present faith in their lives, no matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter what issues come up. It doesn't matter what trials are before them. They show active faith. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. Now, believe it or not, this might surprise you a little bit, but this same concept is actually brought forward in one of the most popular scriptures that we see in the Bible. And so let's go to John 3, 16. You've probably heard this before, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Obviously an awesome scripture, one that rings true. But what's even more interesting about this text is that the word believes here is a present tense verb, which means this could also be translated, whoever continues believing in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So even John 3:16 itself holds within it this idea that we must have active faith to affirm our standing with God. It must be active, it must be present. Now, here's one of the big issues that has come up over the course of history when it comes to this idea. And this is a difficult one. It is, but we have to work through this, okay? Many of us when telling of our spiritual journeys, we'll hearken back to a specific point in time where we feel like God saved us and sealed us with the Holy Spirit, right? And while that point in time can be very, very important, we must take notice that the Bible also emphasizes that there must be active faith in your life as evidence of that initial experience. In other words, if you felt like you had this life-changing moment with God, but then as the years went by, you once again found yourself bound by sin, rebelling against God, heading down a destructive path, it might be time to take a hard look at your past and determine what that experience was really about. Because the Bible is clear here, those whom he saves will have active present faith that will carry them through to the promised land. And so listen to me, by no means do I ever want to belittle or diminish an experience you had with God. I would never want to do that. But we can't, we can't grasp to a five-minute experience when the other 20, 30, 40, 50 years of our life show something completely different. There's clearly a disconnect there. So if God truly saved you at that time, listen, the evidence that follows would be clear and it would include firm faith, active patience, and continued belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what would follow. 
Now, this is why we see scriptures like James 2, 17, that can seem confusing at first, but it makes sense. It says, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Faith without works is dead, right? Now we know we are not saved by works. We've already talked about this, right? We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. But if you say you have saving faith, yet nothing in your life shows that, then you don't have saving faith. You have dead faith. That's what James 2.17 is saying. Now watch what he goes on to say in the next verse. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, active faith in our lives is one of the greatest pieces of evidence we can hold to because it testifies to true belief in Christ. It must be active, it must be working, it must be alive. Otherwise, are we truly his? Are we truly his? This is a road we must be willing to travel down. Now, here's one last scripture, and then we'll move on to the next point. Hebrews 3.14 says, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance. Now, I want to be clear here. I want to guard against the thought that this means you can somehow lose your participation with Christ. That is not what the Bible is trying to say. What it is trying to say is that if you don't hold fast, and I want to say this lovingly, if you don't hold fast, that means you did not have participation with Christ to begin with. And so let this serve to encourage you that where there is active, present faith in Christ is evidence of who you truly belong to. Let that encourage you. This is one of the measures we have to take to test our faith. Is it present? Is it working? Is it active? That's step number one, okay? Let's go ahead and move forward here. The next piece of evidence that we can look to is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Scripture affirms that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be born of the Spirit. That's capital S, Spirit, meaning we must be born of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we have evidence of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that must be an assurance of faith, right? That makes sense. Now, really quick side note, and I warned you that I would do this, but if you want to do more research on the Holy Spirit being essential to conversion, I just want to equip you with some scriptures you can go back and study on your own, okay? So let me list these off real quick for those that might be interested. John 3, 5, this is actually where it says what must happen to enter the kingdom. 1 John 4, 13, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 4, 30. So those are some of the scriptures that you can go and check out to continue your study in this way. But for today's sake, we wanna talk about the evidence of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And so for this, we're gonna dig into two primary scriptures, both of which actually tie together, which is always cool when it does that, right? But let's start in Matthew 7, verse 17. This is Jesus talking. He says, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now we talked earlier about the idea of fruit being produced in our lives. And here it's explaining a little bit about what that means, which is simply good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit, right? Crazy concept. But the follow-up to this, at least for me, is, well, what is good fruit 
And what is bad fruit? Like, I want to know, am I a good tree or a bad tree? So hit me with the evidence. And so for this, we're going to go to Galatians 5, 19. I want you to really lean into this because there's quite a bit in here, but this is super helpful. Galatians 5, 19, it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now this is in counterbalance with the fruit of the spirit. So you could say the fruit of the flesh is evident, which is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what bad fruit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This is ultimately the evidence we must look to as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is simply, is the Spirit bearing fruit? Or would we have to say that clearly our flesh has not been crucified with Christ? Now, again, this is an imperfect pursuit. But as you read through these qualities, which better represents your life? Which of these rises within you most throughout the day? How would your friends, especially those closest to you, your your family, how would they describe you based off of this scale? Because Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. And here's the thing, you know yourself better than anyone especially if you're willing to put delusion aside, right? And so ultimately, this is an investigation you need to hold within yourself. Good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. If you're being honest with yourself, which do you represent? What would be true in your life? If we're really serious about where we stand with God, if we're serious about our relationship with him, we have to be willing and open to search these things out. And so do we have active, present faith? Do we have evidence of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And then here's the next one. Do we see a relationship with and obedience to Christ? Do we see this in our lives? If we are truly his, then there should be within us a desire to know him, to submit to him, and to follow him. That should be within us. If that is not there, We must determine whether we've truly made him Lord and Savior of our lives. It is that simple. Now, again, I'm going to read through two scriptures here that are really crucial to this conversation and actually show how this process can come full circle, which is pretty cool. I think you'll see this. So let's start in John 15, verse 4. Once again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So once again, we see this idea of bearing fruit, this constant theme over and over again, right? And what we're seeing here is that in order for this to happen, 
In order for us to bear fruit, we must abide in Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must abide. But what does that even mean? What does that mean to abide in him? Well, this is what 1 John 3, 24 says. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So what does abiding look like? Well, we abide through obedience to him and he abides through the Holy Spirit in us. That's what it looks like. And so as we look at our lives, do we see a growing relationship with Jesus? Do we see a desire for prayer and for worship? Do we see a desire to read his word and to get to know him better? Do we see obedience as a priority? Are we willing to lay ourselves aside to adhere to what he wants? These are some of the questions we need to be asking ourselves. If we're serious about this journey, we have to be willing to ask these questions and figure out where our hearts truly are. Because listen, Jesus makes it clear, you must abide in me, abide. And this is what brings us to our last item that we're gonna discuss And here it is. To affirm your faith, you must see a steady pattern of Christian growth. Now, again, I'll remind you, be encouraged by the fact that this is an imperfect pursuit. And yet at the same time, there should be a sustainable pattern of Christian growth as evidence in your life. In fact, this is a message that Peter was so sure about that he literally took the time to list out specific character traits that if we continue in them, bring with it a pretty nice guarantee. So let's put this up on the screen and read through it. Second Peter 1, starting in verse five, it says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. This is a pretty powerful message that he is sending here. As we see these character traits growing in our lives, we actually get greater and greater assurance of our faith. And what I like about this thought is that means that your level of assurance is not at its highest at the time of your conversion. And so when you think about just like how strong you were at that time, right? How high your belief was, how faithful your attitude was, That should only get stronger and stronger as you go through the Christian journey, as you draw closer to him. Your knowledge will increase. Your self-control will increase. Your brotherly kindness will increase. That's what it looks like to have a steady pattern of Christian growth in your life. And again, this is what we need to test. This is what we need to examine in our hearts. If we have truly made Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives, We have to understand that yes, we are saved by grace alone. No doubt about it. But our lives must also show evidence of that interchange. 
we have to see active and present faith in Christ. We have to see the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, a relationship with and obedience to Christ and a steady pattern of Christian growth. This is what we need to examine. This is where we need to search our hearts. Are these things present? Are they evident? Or listen, do we need to truly put our trust in Christ? Is it time to really open up our eyes and finally look to him? This is all part of that self-examination that 2 Corinthians 13 is talking about. We have to be serious about this. We have to be honest with ourselves to make sure we don't fall into the same trap that we see Judas fall into. Please stand with me. Again, I know this was different than normal and especially for visitors. I, I apologize for that. We dug pretty deep into the topic today. But I want to just end by saying this. This should only serve to encourage you. That should be the only outcome here, as odd as that may seem. Because listen, either you look inward and you discover true faith in Christ, or you come to the realization that you haven't put your trust in him that you haven't received his free gift of grace. And you might say, how in the world is that encouraging? That makes no sense. Well, because listen, that can change now. That inner change can happen now. Now, I read this scripture last week. It's one of my favorites. But if you feel God tugging at your heart right now, if you feel a bit convicted after this self-examination. I want you to lean into this. Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you feel God tugging at your heart, if you feel him pulling you in, I encourage you to lean into that. I encourage you to take some time and just talk to him and, and really be honest with him about what you've discovered. And maybe you've come to the realization, listen, I'm, I'm not ready for this. Like I, I've got more homework to do. I need to figure out what's really going on deep down within me. And if that's the case, I encourage you continue down that path. Continue in prayer, continue in his word to figure out where your heart really is because this is that important. This is everything. This is eternity on the line. And you need to determine where you stand with your heavenly father.